Let's pray. Father, we do want to thank you for this day. We just want to submit our minds, our wills, our emotions, and every spirit unto the name of Jesus. We say you cannot manifest in any way. You cannot hinder in any way. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you come. Open up our minds. Open up our hearts. And free us in Jesus' name. So if I was to put a uh, name on this message, it would be breaking free from the lies. And so we just sang this song, Reckless Love. But do you ever stop and think about what you're singing? You know, when we sing a song like that, we're making a declaration, this is what I want in my life. But do you know what it looks like? It says, his love chases me down, fights until I'm found. So this is not like the little kid. You know, you're going out at, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you. And they run, they're giggling. and That's not the way it is. My sister is... Five years older than I am. She was pre-war. My brother and I were post-war. World War II, that is. I was about, I would say, four years old, maybe five. My sister was complaining about a molar that was loose. And all of a sudden, I see my dad with a pair of pliers, and my sister was running like mad. My dad finally caught her by the washing machine. He came out with the tooth. That is more what it's like when we say his love is chasing us down <laughs> until I'm found. It's not because we're running from him. He's huge. He's bright. He's life. And we get scared of what we don't have. And there's a, this other one that says, there's no shadow that he won't light up. Now, yesterday at the men's breakfast, Jim Cross gave a good, good illustration of this. And just ask around. There were 50 men there. You can find somebody that can tell you about it. But in some ways, it's more like, it's more like this. Is it? You like that in your eyes? God is going to do, because of his love, he is going to light up those areas of darkness, those areas of shadow in our life. And when we see that light, we're going to go like this. That's our natural reaction. There's no mountain he won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall he won't kick down. Where do those walls come from? Well, we get wounded. Don't know what to do with it, especially when we're kids. We start building a little wall. And this isn't a Lego wall. This is a wall that's put up with 
cement and mortar because we think, we believe a lie that this will protect us. Well, in some ways it does, but it also keeps out God. So he's going to take that and kick it down. Um, it's more like the Berlin Wall. Now, for you young people, you may have to go online, find out what the Berlin Wall was. But when they came in, they took the Berlin Wall down between East Berlin, West Berlin, Communist Berlin, Free Berlin. It didn't come down with a lot of big equipment. It was a whole bunch of people with sledgehammers beating it to bring that wall down, to bring those back into unity. And that's what God wants, to bring us back into unity. And if there's a wall separating us from it, he is going to kick it down. And then there's a song that says, a lie that you won't tear down coming after me. So we sometimes will think a wall or a lie, it's around me. It's going to, I'm going to have to, God's going to tear it down. He's going to tear it down. And pull me out of it. But that's really not true. Those lies get embedded in us. So he has to tear them, tear them out of us. Again, those lies are not always what we would consider getting rid of them fun. But the next question is, after we sing this kind of song, do we ever stop? No, we stop and think about how does that affect me? In this case, we've just sang it. We've made declarations. We've asked God to do this to us. No, that you're doing that, did you? But the thing that we have to do then is to ask, is this song scriptural? So let's take a look at Isaiah 28, starting with verse 10. <clears throat> for it is, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here, a little there. Very well, then, with foreign lips and a strange tongue, God will speak to his people, to whom he said, this is the resting place for the weary, let the weary rest, and this is a place of repose. God wants to bring us into a place of resting, resting in what Jesus has done for us. But we get uncomfortable with that. And what happens then? Let's see if I can find my place. But they would not listen. They would not listen. We wouldn't enter into his rest. So then the word of the Lord to them will be, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here, a little there, so that they will go and they will fall backward and they will be injured and snared and captured. Because we don't want to, we 
don't enter into his rest, what Jesus has done for us, we try to work to do that. So the only way we can figure out if we're doing it or not is to make a set of rules. You know, God gave Israelites Ten Commandments. Pharisees came along, and they expanded that to 600 to try to explain what the Ten meant. We do the very same type of thing. We do that. And God is saying, no, no. I want you to enter in my rest. I want you to be what Jesus said. How many of you remember the scripture, be ye holy as I am holy? How many of you tried it? Has anybody been able to do it? There's two things that happen when we try to be holy. One of them is we give up. That usually means giving up on fellowship, giving up on church, giving up on God, just giving up. The other one is what I did as I became a legalist. I determined I'm going to do this and everybody around me is going to do it. And so what did I do? I made myself miserable and everybody else around me miserable. God, in his reckless love, coming after me. And so let's go on and see what it says here. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast, we have entered into a covenant with death. With the realm of the dead, we have made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us. For we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood a hiding place. We think we can do it on our own? We can't. We, you know, Jesus said that about the enemy. He said he came to steal, to kill, and to destroy but I have come to give you life and life to the fullest or life more abundant. His goal is to put life into us. But because of the wounds around us, the things that have happened to us, we back off, we build a wall, we can't have the life. When we don't have the life, it ends up in death. Because we believe the lie. This is what the Sovereign Lord said. See, I've laid in Zion, a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a firm foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. That's Jesus, that cornerstone. That's Jesus. When we're relying on him, no matter what comes against us, we will not panic. I will make justice a measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail. Everybody been out in a hailstorm? Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie. And water will overflow the hiding place. The covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. That is good news even though it may hurt while it's being done.
So in this process, you know, Eve, when the, when the Lord confronted her, he said, she said, well, the devil deceived me. You remember what the problem with deception is? We don't know we're deceived. We're blind to it. When we're deceived, we're blind to it. So it's these things, God's reckless love. He's going to kick down, down the wall. He's going to tear out the lies. Things happen in our lives that God is going to use. When Mike and I were going into the, the jail, a lot of the guys up there say, well, God put me there. It saved my life. We say, oh, no, you didn't. Your actions put you here. God's just an opportunist. He's going to use this to get that your heart. And so these things that come into our, into our lives that we don't understand, that may be a repeated type of thing, keep coming over and over again. It's God is going to use those things to try to expose the lies. <clears throat> now, he hasn't left us without tools. There's been tools that we've used, and I don't have time to go into them. You know, we had ancient paths, we had Freedom Weekend, Theophostic, and now we're using sozo. Sozo is just a Greek word that means salvation, healing, and deliverance. So we all need to be saved, come to know Jesus, but salvation goes beyond that. We continually need to be saved because there's lies that we continue to believe. And so the, this sozo is a prayer technique to help to reveal the lies, the walls that we've built, the doors that we've opened into to, to the enemy to get his foot in there to try and deceive us. Some of it's through compromising little things. Pushes in, pushes in. And each one of those things that I mentioned where some of them we're not doing anymore, there is a L element within that that is in common in all of them, and that's forgiveness. And you've all been told in church, forgive or God won't forgive you. Well, I know when I first came to the Lord, I hadn't forgiven anybody. He did hear me. He did forgive me. He brought me into his kingdom, but he loves me enough. He's not going to keep me where I was. But there's a there's an under, misunderstanding, I think, of forgiveness that's in the church. You know, forgive. Just forgive. Well, that's a little difficult to do. But there's a scripture, Matthew 18, 23, 26. <clears throat> it says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like the king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owned ten, owed him 10,000 bags of gold, that's over a million dollars, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. 
The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But what did this, what did this king first do? He said, okay, what's this guy owe me? He started going through accounts. On this day, on, he, he borrowed this much. This day, he borrowed this much. Oh, he made a payment here, but no, no, he ended up borrowing more money, more money, more. He accounted for what was owed him. Okay, when people hurt us, wound us, there is a debt there. We need to be able to make an accounting of that debt. What is it they owe? What did they do? How did it make me feel? And when we come down to the end of it, we find out there isn't any way. There isn't any way that they're going to be able to pay that debt. So what do I do with that debt? Well, I'm not just going to throw it away. Now, I don't think that's quite fair either. So what do I end up doing? I take that debt to say, Lord Jesus, this is the debt that's owed me. This is what this person done. This is what it's made me feel like. But I, they're not going to be able to pay that debt. So I'm going to take this debt, free myself from it. I'm going to give it to the debt collector, Lord Jesus. It's his responsibility then either to collect the debt, to forgive the debt, or whatever he does with it, but it's no longer mine. It has no hold on me. What that person did no longer has a hold on me. And if I can use what Dan Christian always says, forgiveness, canceling that debt, giving that debt to Jesus, is the most selfish thing I can do. How is it the most selfish thing I can do? Because when I'm holding on to that debt, every time I see that person, they owe me. They are holding me. Probably not affecting them in any way, but it holds me. So the most selfish thing I can do is to release it to Jesus. Does that make sense? So that makes forgiveness something I can handle then. Because I can, I can make an accounting of that debt. I can then pass it on to Jesus. Let him do whatever he wants to with it. Because when I'm holding on to it, and I'm also binding the Lord from being able to work in the, in the life of the person that I'm holding accountable for that debt. So one of the tools is, is the sozo that we can use right now. And just so you get a, can maybe put a face to a few people who can help you with this, but technically, come against the walls, the doors, bring freedom into our lives. Can I have the sozo group stand up? Is anybody in here? There's one. There's another one. Another one back there. These people have been trained, and they're here to help you walk through. But to just give you an idea of practically 
how this works. I have that. I'm going to ask my wife to come up. Come on, Sherry. She's going to tell you a story. This is before we knew about Sozo, but this is where the enemy was wanting to, to really cram in a lie. And God spoke truth to her. Well, before I start, um, we started today with a call to repentance. And so, first of all, I guess I want to just say to you and confess to you that I'm quick to say, God never speaks to me, or God, I, I don't hear from God. And uh, so you can pray for me about that, because I say that more quickly than I ought to. But I, I do have one time in my life that was significant that has held me for many years and it was many many years ago and we were living out in seattle started a new church and i remember it vividly the pastor got up that day and gave a a powerful message about heritage and how valuable heritage is and being raised in a christian home and those values instilled in you as a young person and on and on and on and i won't go into the detail of that but i remember being struck with the great attack of grief I mean over the way I was raised and the family I grew up in and so I um, couldn't do anything that day we were too busy but the next morning John went off to work and um, I got my coffee went back to the back room and I was gonna pray but that wave of grief just flooded over me again and so I started sobbing and just crying out to God and reminding him of all the reasons that I see my life as bankrupt, that how I just could never become the woman of God that I really wanted to be. And so I'm sobbing, and I mean, I don't cry easily, and I'm sobbing uncontrollably. And nobody was home, and I'm all by myself, and, and I'm just letting it hang out there and pouring it all out on God. And all of a sudden, um, out of the blue, um, and very forcefully, I would say, I hear this thing that says, Sherry, that's not your heritage. And I remember um, it startled me. I mean, it broke through all the noise I was making, and it startled me. And I lifted my head, and I looked to the left, and I said, what? And he said it again, Sherry, that's not your heritage. You are a child of God, and your heritage is, and he began to cite um, the patriarchs of the Bible to me. And, uh, and I stopped crying just like that. It was over. I was over. The grief was gone. I, I, I knew that was true. Uh, you know, I had been in, in Christianity long enough to know that was true. But somehow, I didn't think it was true for me. And he made it very real to me that day. And um, I got up from there, went on about my life. And that was 30, 30 plus years ago. And I just want to say that that little nugget of truth that he spoke to me that day has become an anchor in my life. And I, I return there often to remember that. And... Um, 
it's a precious gift to me. So, and I'm really grateful that he broke through that barrier. <laughs> Thanks. We can have prophetic words spoken over us. And sometimes they'll touch us, sometimes they won't. But when the Lord speaks to us, it changes things. I'll tell you an experience that I had. Growing up, um, I, was, I was a difficult child. And... Uh, not, not in, a, in the way of, you know, I started school, first grade. I couldn't, I couldn't learn how to read. So after the first grade, school started at 8.30. I was there at 8 o'clock trying to learn how to read. And then after school, and school got out at 4.30. 3.30 or 4 o'clock, I don't remember. For the next half hour or so, I was in a class trying to learn how to read. I was in summer school trying to learn how to read. This went on and on, and nobody could figure out why I couldn't read. My mother was trying to work with me, and she would say, Johnny, what's wrong with you? I know you're not stupid. Johnny, what's wrong with you? I know you're not stupid. Word problems, couldn't do them at all. And finally fell in love with my fourth grade teacher and spent two years with her. <laughs> and, uh, but something happened at the time. I started learning how to compensate for not being able to read. So I've got 17, like 17 years of public education. No, 18. I was two years in the fourth grade. Um, 18 years. And I could count. I won't need both hands to count the books I've read until I came to know Jesus. And I started reading the Bible. Morning, noon, and night. King James Version, because I was told that's the one that Paul used. <laughs> this and thou and couldest and wouldest and shouldest and all those things. And poor Mike, he still reads it. Uh, um, but through that process, God healed my healed me. Well, I was thirty years over thirty years old, early thirties, when I heard about dyslexia. I asked, "What is that?" And they explained it to me. And I said, "Oh my God, that explains it all." why I couldn't read, why I couldn't learn how to read. And so I had to, before that, I had to, after that, I had to have a prayer session to deal with my mother. Johnny, what's wrong with you? I know you're not stupid. But what's Johnny think? There's something wrong with me. I'm stupid. But we dealt with that. In a, in a prayer session. But then, one day, how many of you have seen The Passion of Christ? 
Oh, you young people. Download it. Stream it. Whatever. See the passion. It's, it's really good. But I came in here one morning. Sherry's on the worship team. We had to be here early. And I'm still stuck in that same spot over there. We sort of sit over there. And I came in there, and there was this picture sitting on the chair I usually sit in. That, you have that, Pamela? There. This is out of the Passion. <clears throat> this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, sweating drops of blood. That's the devil in the background, waiting to pounce. When I saw that picture, just like that, I was instantly mad. I was furious. On the inside, I was, because people were around here, didn't want to interrupt what the worship team was doing. I was instantly mad, totally. I mean, yelling and screaming inside, this is unfair, this is unfair. Jesus shouldn't have had to die for it. And I just, I mean, I, it just, it was out of control type of madness. And so I knew God was putting his finger on something. I couldn't figure out what it was. So Kathy and Sherry started praying with me, asking God to reveal to me. And that's a process. We were using that. That's the one that's called Theophosis, hour and a half, two-hour session usually. So it was over hour and a half, two hour session to get those lies. And the lie that I was believing, God, God said to Jeremiah, I knitted you together in your mother's womb. And I've been told, and it's in the scripture, that God doesn't make junk, he doesn't make mistakes. And here I was with dyslexia. That's not the only problem I had. But dyslexia. Suffered with it. Suffered with it. Turmoil. Hated school. Hated school. Because I couldn't read. But God made me. He made me with dyslexia. I was, what it boiled down to, I was mad at God. I ended up having to forgive God, although he didn't make me that way. We live in a broken, fallen world, and things happen because of that. But in my mind, in the way I saw things, I was mad at God. And I remember what he told me after that, but it set me free from that. So it's just part of then my history. So the question then, on another one. I'm just give you one more quick story. This happened just a couple of weeks ago as I was thinking about this, preparing for it. And so as though every once in a while we were to ask the Lord if there's something that we, some lie we believe about him. And he, I said, oh, say Lord Jesus. Is there a lie you be I believe about you? And he said, yes. Which sort of surprised me. Because I thought I had things current. And I said, well, what, what's the lie? And he brought back to my remembrance a few years ago 
There's a group of men I meet with almost every Friday. We have for over 25 years probably now since we moved here. And I had a hard time. I was going through some struggle. And I started sharing that struggle. And one of the guys just started, you know, the guys are. He wasn't taking me serious. And I thought, okay. Most of the time when that happens, I just shut up. I don't, you know, if you don't want to hear, hear about it. You don't want to pray for me. That's okay. I'll find somebody that does. But I didn't that day. I said something. And he immediately apologized. And there was forgiveness there. I mean, so everything I thought was okay. But when the Lord did that, he showed me that, brought me back that memory. He's saying, you don't think I take you serious. And so what he said to me then was, I take you very, very seriously every aspect of your life. And so that's that brought again freedom. I'm hearing from God. And that's what he wants to do for each one of us. But so why is God so determined to set us free from the lies? We're going to look at Isaiah 61. He wants to, excuse me a minute, can't see you blurry. This whole goal is not just to save us, to get us to go to heaven. That's, that's, that's a real easy thing for him to do. But what he wants to do is to restore us to the original image he had for us and the original intent he had in our lives. So in Isaiah 61, it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Captives. Just let me give a quick explanation of that. That's somebody who has been victimized. Something has been put upon them. Prisoners. Those are the victimizers. The problem is, most of the victimizers started out being a victim. So he's proclaiming freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of the vengeance of our God. The vengeance is not on the people, it's on the enemy who has trapped them in lies. To, pr to comfort those who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion. He is going to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. When we accept Jesus, he takes all our junk, he gives us everything he's got. There's always an exchange going on. So here, when they're mourning, they would throw ashes on their head. He's saying, I'm going to take those ashes off, and I'm going to give you a crown of, of beauty. 
He says, I'm going to give you the oil of joy instead of the mourning that you're in. A garment of praise for the spirit of despair. We're depressed. We're hurting. We're in despair. We don't see any hope. God wants to give you, take that and give you the spirit of praise. They will be called yokes of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, and the display of his splendor. We just sang about the glory of God. So when he does that, it displays his splendor, his glory. So, that's what God wants to do for us. But it doesn't even end there. That's just the beginning. What are these people who are poor, who are brokenhearted, who are in despair, who are suicidal, who didn't see any hope? What's he have in store for them? He's going to exchange that, but then... They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities they will, they, that have been devastated for years. Butte has been devastated for years. God wants to do that exchange in your life to give you life in order that each one of us can go out and rebuild Butte. You get to do, you get to join the Father in rebuilding the lives around you. You have been in despair, God wants to give you joy. You get joy, he wants you to go out and find somebody that's in despair and pass that on to him. He wants to put his peace into us that we can take and put that peace into those around us. Like when you walk down the street, the enemy just starts making a way for you. He wants us to be free. And he's paid the price to do that. So we're going to do something else right here, not quick. Uh, Nobody move around. Coffee makers don't need to go get coffee. You don't need to go get children. You can hang on for a few more minutes. No, no moving in the room, if I can, if you would, please. I want everybody to close their eyes. Just relax in front of the Lord. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. We don't know how this is going to go, but we're going to find out. So repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, is there a lie I believe about you? Okay. It's going to be quick. Answer yes or no. Or Jesus, where did I learn this lie? Lord Jesus, I forgive the person through whom this life came. 
I repent. I change my mind about believing this lie and having any interaction with the enemy regarding this lie. Lord Jesus, what is the truth you want me to know? Lord Jesus, what do you think of me? Sherry said, she keeps saying she never hears God. That used to be another, one of the lies I heard, too. Remember. Told people, you know, I don't hear God. Well, I was, I was running around with really prophetic people. I wasn't hearing the way they were, with clarity that they were. God finally said, hey, wait a minute. My sheep hear my voice. Are you one of my sheep? Uh, yes. Then you hear my voice. Now God speaks to each one of us differently. I, I am assuming, I am expecting that God spoke to you and that some sort of freedom came in your life.